Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Tonight we have the incredible privilege of finishing the Galatians series, Jesus Plus Nothing. And I've absolutely loved this series when we kind of thought about it initially. It was kind of six to eight weeks and it's probably been double that. But actually it could be years. There's just so much life, and I would encourage you, if you've delved into this and you found life in the Word of God and you found an ability to go a little bit deeper, I would encourage you, do this book once a year. Don't wait for a church to do it. Don't wait for someone. Go and find and mine the truths of the Word of God and the truths of grace and life as Apostle Paul lays it out in this amazing book. Do it every year, because I think it's so, so vital for every believer. And the reality is, this is one of the, this is one of the books written to the church to bring order and rectify us and take us back to the principles that God has called us to, to the life, and to the fact that it's Jesus plus absolutely nothing. And so I'm really excited for tonight, and tonight's preach is called only, Our Only Boast, but I want to maybe we can pop up the series, and we can do a quick journey through uh, Galatians again. This is in our image, maybe the next one that just looks at chapter 1 and 2, and Paul the Apostle is crying out. Remember, he's writing a letter. This is not some clever sermon series. He's not sending an email. He's writing a letter to people he loves, and he's fighting for their freedom like a father would fight for the freedom of his children. We've got to remember that when we forget that, this becomes an angry guy who's marking a territory and making sure no one's getting into his territory. It's not that. It's an apostolic father fighting for the freedom of God's sons and daughters. It's really important we get that. And he, then he goes on this journey and he's, he's finding himself having to defend the truth and saying, why have you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you listening to these guys? He's, he's declaring that righteousness is the only way. He's reminding them of what God had done in his life. And he takes them on a journey. He says, it's only righteousness by the blood of Jesus and nothing else. Then maybe the next slide he goes on and he has to, he, he says God's actually doing something. He uses the example of Abraham, the, Ab, the Israelite poster boy. He takes his life and he says, well, actually, let me explain what Jesus has done and what he continues to do in and through the stories and the gospel breaking into our lives and these stories. And he takes them on a journey and he starts to explain the law and how the law works. And either you are a slave to the law, mastered by the law, or the law comes and is a helpful guide, but actually it's the spirit of God that gets into our life and brings order and life and freedom and takes us on a journey to be more like Jesus. Because here's the thing, that is our journey. The thing is, sin is a big thing. It's a big thing, but the power of grace in our lives and the power of the Spirit of God in our lives, whatever our age, whatever our story, wherever we are in life, is unbelievably greater. And then he finishes up in chapter 5 and 6 and says, actually, we live these lives empowered by the Spirit of God, and God is going to do something remarkable and create a new community where the walls come down that we love to put up. And, and what was happening in the Galatian story, if you're just arriving tonight, is there was a cultural norm of, of circumcision. And as I said when we spoke about it, Paul didn't have a bad experience with circumcision. It wasn't kind of anti-fad in the day like it is today. It was just the fact that he was saying people were taking this traditional act, this cultural act, and adding it to the gospel and saying if you just add to the gospel this one thing, Remember, there'll always be this one thing that people want to add to the gospel, my effort. This, just this one thing, circumcision, just this one thing, do church this way, and if you do it any other way, no, just this one thing. And Paul's saying, no, rubbish. And then we get to this amazing text that we are going to finish on tonight as we really glorify Jesus and wonder at the cross together. Is that good? Wonderful. 
There's three things that I want to remind us as to what Paul is dealing with. And I said this right at the beginning when we started the series. And the first one is this. He's clearly demonstrating. Sorry to spit on you. It wasn't intentional. Not the last time, though. He's clearly demonstrating the essence of the gospel. Why is that? Why would he take such time to do that? We've got to ask these questions, and when we process the series, and we're not trying to just get a book of the Bible so you know more about the Bible. That's not why we preach a series. That's not why we dive into the Word of God. We dive into the Word of God so we can be transformed and ongoingly transformed. And why would he do this? Because the reality is we can quickly and easily lose the essence of the gospel. Quickly. That first love disappears. The, re the, the remembrance of how actually disgusting in our sin and our brokenness and everything we've done we were and we walk and we start to think actually we're just a little bit better than we were when we forget that actually we were broken and actually to the kingdom of God we should have been shunned from the presence of God when we forget that that was our position and Jesus broken we forget then the essence of the gospel starts to wane become less and less and less he's saying I've got to keep fighting for the essence of the gospel and then he's going after legalism and he's smashing it He's not messing around. He's using strong language. He's getting emotional about it. Why? Because he knows this aspect and this one thing that so quickly creeps, 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 creepy creeps into our hearts, gets deep inside, and can look so great. It can look so holy. It can look like it's all got right. It can look so great. But he knows that this gospel is a gospel from the inside out. This gospel is a gospel where my heart gets captivated by the love of a Savior. And that transforms me from the inside out. And legalism says if you just work on some of the externals, you're all good. No one's going to judge you. You're in with the crowd. He says, no, I want your heart. He's smashing these things. And then he goes after a, a, what God is building with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, actually... It has no ethnic, nationalistic, or cultural walls. Like circumcision. Starts becoming, all, oh, you're a Christian. You, you, you were at church last week. That's awesome. Are you circumcised? <laughs> it is an awkward question. Probably different, but it looks different in our world. Do you, do you get up at six every morning to pray? Do, do you read the Bible every year? Or are you one of those super programs where you read it three times a year? Oh, look at me. Oh. It looks like that. Circumcision is that real. And he's saying, actually, the issue is not circumcision in itself. It's not a bad thing. Nothing in itself is a bad thing. But when it becomes and replaces the essence of the gospel deep inside of my heart, that's a bad thing. It's a really challenging thing. So can we turn to Galatians chapter 6? And this is the last section of text. Can we stand together? Is that all right? I know this is church, and, and I honestly believe the Word of God is so powerful. Right now, even as we read this text, God can bring freedom and life, lift anxiety and anguish, just because of the power of the Word of God. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they might boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. 
to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me, to tr- cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Can we say amen? amen. amen. Wonderful. Can you take your seats, please? And I'm really excited about the scripture, and I trust God is going to do amazing things this morning. But to contextualize it again, remember I said this is a letter written. And Paul starts out and he presents verse 11. He says, see what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. Why? Because in those days, the apostle would sit back and someone would scribe and and he would speak it out, the letter, and they would write. But he's saying, no, actually, I'm getting involved here. I'm doing it with my own hand and I'm writing it big. You know, it's like the person who sends you an SMS and it's caps. You know, he means business. Paul's saying, actually, and most of you know, if you've done a book review at school, read chapter one, read the end, you get the gist of the story. Paul knows that too. He was a genius. He was a clever man. And he knew, he said, actually, I'm going to be really strong up front. I'm going to be even stronger at the end. I'm going to write it in my own hand, nice and big, so that when the letter arrives in Galatia and the Christians gather around, they'll realize, I'm serious about this. I'm not trying to take their time. It's not just a meeting I gathered them to. It's a big, big thing. And then he continues, says, those who want to impress people with means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. What's he saying? See, we live in a world of upgrades. Continually upgrade your phone. Continually upgrade your watch these days. Upgrade everything. He's saying, actually, there's a version of Christianity that's out there that's being positioned as Christianity 2.0, a slight upgrade. But it's not the real thing. It's not authentic. It's, it's the context was Judaism was tolerated, but Christianity was persecuted. And you know what we like in church and we like in the world? We like options. Give me options. Give me my Christianity with a little less persecution. And the, the false teachers come and they go, we can do that? Here we go. Paul's saying, no, guys. Don't stand for the inauthentic. Don't, don't settle for the false upgrade. There is no upgrade to what Jesus did on the cross. Forever and always perfect. Saying actually the reason they're doing this is so that they look good. So that they get you to go in their way. And if they get you to go on their journey, they look good and they feel good about their ministry and their story. And he says actually they can't even fulfill their own promises. Bible says in Romans, actually no man is sinless. Every man falls short of the glory of God. Everyone. And yet they would put this on to the believers. He said, continues in verse 13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. And he's just, boom. Here's the motivation. It's not about you. It's about them. We've got we to hear that, guys. Why? Because as the church of Jesus Christ, we can become those legalists like this. Like this. We can, become, we can be those guys. We're not the guys Paul's fighting. We can be the other guys. Where we start putting things on people because we think it'll even help them. Maybe legitimately we think that. But we've got to understand that unless it is the power of Christ and the power of Christ alone and what he did on the cross, I promise you we are putting things on them that will lead them to more bondage. And as we spoke a few weeks ago, you can't take an old prisoner and just put new chains on them and expect them to experience freedom. Jesus wants to set his people free. And then, if you thought I was excited till now, we are here. 
Now I'm excited. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The message puts it this way. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others. Don't you want that? I want that. I want that. Set free from the little patterns that they dictate. I want that for every person who shouts the name of God. And he says, who boasts. See, everyone, everyone has the propensity and the potential to love boasting. I think we live in a world that actually celebrates it. You don't have to teach kids about it. 18 months ago, my boy won a, a, a rugby prize. It was almost as big as him. And we said, go put it in your room, boy. No. Where do you want it? Right there. And he points to the spots that are right opposite the front door of the house. So that every person comes in, the first thing they do is get a tour straight to the middle. And he explains. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm just saying it's misplaced. We are designed to boast. Boasting's not the issue. But we're designed to boast in our Savior and what he's done. That is finished perfect work. And then my other little boy who's in preschool in grade R, they don't get big trophies, but they get badges like Good Friend Award. And Ben walks in like this. He walks in. Hello, Dad. Hello, I, I was a good friend today, Dad. Why? Because we all have a propensity and a desire to be known, to be seen, to celebrate something, to boast about what we have done. And Paul's saying, actually, boasting is not the issue. Oh, that was really, I did it better this morning. Eh? How does it? No, I'm looking like a spastic. No, what's happening? The McGregor walk and me and my millions of dollars. We're going to do it. And, and Mayweather brings his rucksack and out come the $100 notes in his green underpants. It's a tragedy, guys, that these are the heroes of our world who boast in their ability and the fact that actually they were all they are in the middle of the night when they're lying in their bed as scared, fearful little men that no one will come when they call. I'm just being honest. All they are is men who God, the creator of them, created men and women with fast twitch muscles and the ability to co coordinate landed punches. That's who they are. And yet we live in a world that celebrates and says, actually, he has hundreds of million dollars that could feed millions of hungry people, but we're going to choose to celebrate the boast of two men who come up with an amazing marketing scheme. Yeah. We've got to recognize that our world celebrates this. We live in a world that finds it attractive, and Paul says, but I boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, I exalt, and I glorify, and I praise only in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a shocking, shocking statement. It's like saying, I boast only in the electric chair. I boast only in the lethal injection. I boast only in, in the gas chamber. See, what we don't talk about often enough is how brutal and how gruesome the cross of Jesus Christ was. He says, I boast in the cross. He doesn't say, I boast in Jesus. See, because there are many things he could have boasted about in Jesus. He could have boasted about the fact that Jesus came as a man, did miracles, lived a life that was so beyond the normal. 
He could have boasted about that love. He could have boasted about the resurrection, a pretty cool party trick that no one else can do. Dead and three days later, crucified in front of everyone, three days later, arisen. He could have boasted about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He could have boasted about the ascension of Christ. This world is a world that celebrates men who fall from the sky and how they parachute from space. Our king went the other way, defying gravity. Imagine YouTube was around then. We could have celebrated that. We could have, he could have boasted about the fact that Jesus is coming back again in the second coming and will make all things perfect to bring order and justice to everything in the world. He could have boasted about that, but he chose to boast in the lowest point of Christ's life when the cat of nine tails ripped his body apart and his blood was poured. He boasted in that low point and he said, actually, I will find glory and boast in that point because at that point, my whole life changed. The whole of eternity rested and hinged on one moment as those nails were driven into our Savior. And I'm telling you, church, we cannot forget because when we daughter it down and we forget, it's like standing and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We can't do that. We can't do that. Got to get in our hearts. Why does he boast in the cross? Spurgeon says, to live for personal glory is to be dead while we live. Be not so foolish as to perish for a bubble. Many a man has thrown his soul away for a little honor or for the transient satisfaction of success in trifles. What's he saying? He's saying, don't boast in, and we find things to boast in. Don't boast in your holiness because actually you can't do it. Jesus did it all. Don't boast in your, in your restraints in the moment. Well, years ago, I would have gone down that road, but now I don't go around that road anymore. I'm so much like Jesus, just trying to be humble. Now you're boasting. You know, the challenge with this thing is, it's only in here. Your growth and sanctification, now God does that. He says, boast, go big, but give all glory to God, especially when it might be unpopular. Especially when it could see Paul in his own life was a man who could have boasted about many things. He could have boasted about being one of the most profound rabbis in his time. He was a student of the word. He knew the Torah backwards. He, could have, he was excelling in that. They gave him profile. He was this guy. And he says this and he challenges in verse, uh, Philippians 3. He says, for if it, was, if it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Is there a but in your life, sir or ma'am? See, so often a but leads to a self-justification. So often a but leads to an explanation. But is there a but that leads to the glory of Christ and that alone in your life? See, it's okay for men to get on it. It's not a bad thing. It's okay for women to get on it. It's not a bad thing. But glory belongs to one. Belongs to one. See, Paul could have, he could have boasted in his sufferings. And, and this guy rocked this thing. 
I mean, he went from hero of, of the persecutors to actually poster, God, poster boy for suffering. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And he has this little moment. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I got to, so they get it. He says, I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And yet this little heart has the propensity to go, I'll fast for three days. And gosh, I am an amazing Christian. Just being honest. Saying, you know, guys, please see. God's calling you to so much more. And the last thing, what we see in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 it carries on from there. He says, and he, he, in his humility, he's trying to present something and present a case. He says, I know a guy. I know a guy who was caught up in the third heaven. But almost every commentator will say, Paul is actually saying he went to the third heaven. And then he's trying to be humble. He's presenting, but actually, this is a guy who's heard from God, engaged God, seen God. He could have found pride and boast in the fact that he's heard from God when so many haven't. I've seen many things in my life. I feel like I've heard God on many things. I feel like I've seen, but I promise you this, I'm very, 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 very careful when I use words like, God has said, God has spoken. I've got to be very, very careful. Very, very careful. See, he didn't just glorify and boast in Jesus' life, but he boasts in his lowest point. He says, may I never boast in anything at the cross. Paul's point, the history of grace begins way earlier, and it'll go on later, but in the middle of it all stands one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon says it this way, of two eternities, this is the hinge of past decrees and future glories. This is the pivot. What's he saying? The cross. Maybe you know the song, maybe you don't. If you've been in church for a while, you'll know the song. Forbid it, Lord that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. All the vain things that charm me most. Heart's a fragile thing, I guess. What's Paul saying? Is I'm going to put it in big writing. The church, be aware. We are all vulnerable to this. All of us. And here's the issue. It totally, totally corrupts and breaks down the potential of the power of God in our lives when we boast in anything else. So maybe you've made millions of rands, dollars, pounds in business. Wonderful. Give glory to God. Maybe you've raised incredible children and all of a sudden there's the, there's the thing, well, actually you've done well. You should tell everybody else how to do it. 
maybe you should just pray more for others because that's what got you through. I'm just telling you this because it's in my heart, guys. I get the privilege of standing on a pulpit and people listening. And sometimes the enemy wants to come in and say, actually, yes, you did good, eh? And I've got to get on my knees and say, again, God, thank you for the privilege. But it's only because of your blood. Only because of your blood. I want to say Paul believed in a cross that was real. Do you believe in a cross that was real? Nails that were real. Blood that poured out of our Savior that was real. Real. I think Christians sometimes, these are nice stories and that's a great one. That one of Golgotha and the whole walk, to, that's a great story. It's not a story. It happened. And it changed our world and it can change your life if you'll let it. Why the cross? Why did he boast in the cross? I think a couple of reasons. One, you know, Jesus made a choice to go to that cross. Here's what happened at the cross. There's a court case. It's not my analogy. It's been used hundreds of years over. But there's a court case and there's a judge called God who is righteous and perfect in all his ways. He says, Bring the claim, the accusation, and, and Satan, the, the enemy, brings the accusation. They are sinners. All of mankind for all of eternity, they are sinners. The worst kind of sinners. From every sin. Please understand, we start making up these things that somehow, somehow jumping a red robot is different to something else. Bible says sin, sin. It opens an avenue into our lives. It opens a highway into our souls where the enemy can drive in. We, we, we break it down. We null it down. We actually don't talk about it enough sometimes. Every, every preach in the, in the book of Acts that is proclaimed speaks of two things, sin and hell. Just telling you. So we've got to come back to think what happens. Actually, there's this accusation. They are guilty. And all the evidence is laid forward. And the judge goes, yes, you're right, they're guilty, 100% guilty. So, Satan, what should be the penalty? Death. You are a holy God. You cannot condone sin. You cannot condone brokenness. Actually, yes, you're right. Death. Judgment. And everyone goes silent. And then, the father says to Jesus, I need to give you away to death so that they can live. And the judge becomes the one who bears the burden of the judgment. That's the cross. Changes everything. See, I understood the debt of guilt. Maybe you walk with guilt tonight. You know what the cross did? Set you free from guilt. Free. It's not going to work out an angle and maybe you can work out a journey. If you make a phone call, make it right. No, it set you free from guilt. And then still walk out a road to freedom in every way and fullness. And then it continues. It says the only hope for a broken world. What, what is the hope for the world right now? What are people crying out for? They want hope. Yeah. Christians, right now, watch your hearts. Watch your hearts. Hold on to the king and his kingdom. When economies start failing, hold on to the fact that the king is seated on his throne and nothing that happens in the economies of this world can affect what happened on Golgotha that day. Nothing. 
and no, no, no politician and no business person and no person with a big voice into our culture can determine anything or change anything of our ultimate destination and the fact that my hope is established and seated on the throne in heaven right now. Nothing can shift that. And Paul understood that. Secondly, I would say that he understood that salvation came by the cross and not just salvation for one day when. You've you got anxiety now? Jesus died that in this life you could be free from anxiety. I heard a man last night speak of his 87-year-old mother who lived a radical life for Jesus. At 65, she, she started getting people saved and planted a church in Mauritius that is running today. And he got to sit with her as she was passing away. And one of the daughters asked, Mom, have you ever had anxious moments or anxiety? And she looked back and she said, No. She was dying. She said, no, I've got Jesus. What's your hope? John Piper puts it this way. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know the few great things that matter and then be willing to die for them, to live for them, and to die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on for centuries and into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ or EQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or a fine school. You have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. What do you know today? What do you, what do you know? Deep down. What, what do you know? See, we can do a lot of things. And we can know a lot of things, but our knowing has to take us and transform us into becoming like Him. Growing like Him. Are you willing to live and to die for what you know? That's what the gospel says. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus, nothing, nothing, nothing. Not my efforts. See, He's already, it's only His efforts. Nothing. Not my years of faithfulness. Oh, I've been a Christian for 50 years. No, no, no. Take you to the one who is eternally faithful. Nothing. Not my overcoming. No, on that cross, he was the ultimate overcoming so that I can live a life of overcoming because of what he's done. Jesus plus nothing. Not the hope I have in my ability. No, sir, ma'am. The ability that you have was given to you by him anyway. The thing that sets it on fire is the spirit of God inside of you. Nothing. Paul, the writer of Galatians, wrote this in Philippians to the people in Philippians, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuge in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, but I get so hung up sometimes. Oh, I've gone to church so many times. Why is this person sick? Why is this happening? No, no, no. He's saying, actually, consider all that you've done, nothing except for one thing, the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and gaining 
Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon says this of the cross, and then we're going to take communion together. He says this, There is more glory about one nail of the cross than about all the scepters of all the kings. There's more glory in one nail of the cross than any other authority, power, kingdom, principality in this world, all added up, multiplied by infinity. When we get the cross, not just Jesus the Savior, not just, not just Jesus the, the, the born child of God, we love that story, not just Jesus did miracles, we love that stuff. When we get the cross, the gruesome reality of the cross, that I can be free, that those nails were for me, we'll find this freedom that Paul promises. Can I invite the band up? Can I be honest? While some of you are still coming up. Earlier this week, had a bit of a tough day. <laughs> I know I'm a pastor, we don't have the... Had a bit of a tough day. So I got in my room and I had a gap and I was just having a little bit of a lament. You thought David was the only one who wrote a psalm of lament. <laughs> no, we're all allowed to. Where we go with it's important. And then I had a gap. I said, well, I'm going to use this gap to start preparing for Sunday because it's a busy week and I want to maximize. And I read the scripture. Did you had a rough day? Savior on the world, the Savior of the world died a gruesome death at the hands of those he breathed his life into so that they might live life. You're whipped and beaten for them. You think you've had a bad day. Remember Jesus. Glory in Jesus. Boast in Jesus. And Paul says, he goes on and he writes, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks of Jesus. Don't buy into a Christianity that says there will never be challenges and trials. There'll never be scars. There'll never be wounds. No, there will be. But you know what you have access to? The blood of Jesus. To sustain you, to hold you. Andrew Gavetta told me tonight, he went to the funeral of his uncle, 96 years old, and his wife, who must be roughly same age, who's bent over, crippled with arthritis. He went up to her and said, how are you doing? And she looked up and said, I'm fine. He said, do you need anything? She said, no, I'm perfect. I've got Jesus. I need to have that in my soul. I need to have that so deep down inside that when any storm blows, it cannot touch what is so deep down inside. I need to have that when the opinions of man are bearing down on me and they're saying, back down. I need to have it so deep down in my soul that I can walk a line that might look different to this world and that might come with challenges, might come with trials and might come with whippings and shipwrecks. But there is Jesus on the other side. I live for Jesus and there's only reason, one reason I can. It is the cross that he hung on for me and for you and for the world and when I forget that I become too big 
and he becomes too small. And he says, I want to get in your story and I want to remind you of just one thing. If you remember one thing for this whole letter that I've penned to you as I've poured out my soul. Don't remember I'm an apostle. Don't remember about Abraham. Don't worry about all that stuff. Remember one thing. Boast in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing. So Jesus, we come tonight. Not just another moment, not just another Sunday, but just another church service ticking it off some kind of list in the back recesses of our thought processes. We come tonight to receive your body. You said, drink of me and remember me. This is my body. There is power here because of this offering and gift there is power for healing here tonight there's power for freedom tonight because of the blood of Jesus that wasn't dripped out like someone who cuts their hand and squeezes out a few drops of blood no it poured out of him it poured out as they pierced the side it poured out from everywhere the lashes struck it poured out of him then his body that was bruted, bruted, beaten and bruised. Why? So that I might trust in one thing and boast in one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. That is enough and more than enough than I could ever need for peace, wholeness, purity, righteousness, joy, life, freedom. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood and your body.